0: Welcome
1: to Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. During the course of lunch, she looked at me and she said, what did you see in me? And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. She says, Well, you're the one that pushed me to get the master's degree. You're the one that pushed me to get the CPA. You're the one that pushed me to strive for better positions in industry. And she is now director of tax at one of the uh, Fortune 500 companies in San Antonio.
0: Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Goldman, a CPA and your host for Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Our guest today is Marshall Pittman, a well-known accounting professor at the University of Texas in San Antonio. That clip was a little longer than most of our intros, but I really wanted to showcase that story because you'll hear it in Marshall's voice. He really appreciates being able to be a positive influence on the accounting profession. We're going to cover how Marshall got into accounting in the first place, of course, but also how he transitioned into teaching early in his career, and then some advice as well for those studying accounting currently. I mentioned this in the interview itself, but it really is true. Marshall has taught some of the most successful accounting professionals in this geographical area, and I really do believe that he's been a great positive influence on the profession overall, not just in San Antonio. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you happen to be a student, please share it with a friend. Our guest interviews are all geared towards helping you succeed in your career, and this one's certainly no different. Here we go with Marshall Pittman of the University of Texas at San Antonio.
2: Well, good morning, Marshall. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Well, I wanted to invite you on the podcast for a few different reasons, actually. One, I try to make sure we're highlighting all the different career options that there are available to accountants. And obviously, becoming an educator can be a very attractive option for some accountants. And secondly, you're somewhat of a legend in this area, you know, having been department chair and Being so involved with the State CPA Society and and just really having so much influence on accounting professionals in this area, I really think sharing your career story is, is going to be very beneficial. So thank you. Let's start at the beginning, like I do with all our guests. How did you decide to become an accountant in the first place? What were the influences, so to speak, behind that?
1: Well, I grew up in a small community in South Central Illinois I actually lived in the, quote, city of 5,000 people, Hmm. and like many of us at that time, when we were thinking about graduating from high school, we were going to go into the service. But unfortunately, due to some physical situations, I was not able to pass the physical, and therefore I had decided to go to college. I looked at different colleges and decided to go to Eastern Illinois University, and when I went through the orientation, I met with all the freshmen, met, went to an advising center and everything, and I actually got to have the uh, director of the advising center. And he explained to me that everyone that went to Eastern at that time had to declare a major when they walked in the door. You couldn't just say, I'm going to be a non-major and such. And I asked him for a list of majors, and he gave me that, and I saw accounting was at the top, and I said, okay, I know something about accounting because my mother had taken some bookkeeping courses, and her brother actually was a bookkeeper for a major paint company in the southwest region of the United States. So I really didn't know what I was getting into, the real life and everything, but I went through in my freshman year, I took some maybe uh, what I refer to as liberal arts type courses that was required of everybody. And then my sophomore year, I took my first accounting class, which happened to be taught by one of the first African-American CPAs in the state of Illinois. Hmm. And it was amazing that I did quite well in the course. It just seemed to come to me. And I became friends with this particular faculty member, and he mentored me throughout my five years at Eastern. I decided to get a master's degree based on his advice, and he said, you know, it's easier to get it if you go straight through than if you wait and after you come back from working. And I didn't come from a very wealthy family. And I said, I didn't have the money. And he said, well, the university will actually pay you to get your master's degree through a graduate assistantship, which I had one of the unique graduate assistantships in the entire university. I was actually the accounting for acquisitions of the library. So when departments submitted their requests for either periodicals or for books to be ordered. Everything came to me, and I went through their individual budgets. I got to actually vote no on a couple of issues that I did want departments to order, which were upheld by my supervisor. They didn't think it was appropriate (laughs) that we had that material there. And I got my first insight into governmental accounting and budgets and encumbrances and expenditures. And it was a very exciting time to do that as a, a graduate student and everything. Got my master's degree and as I was getting it, unfortunately the economy was going down in the tanks at that time. And the public accounting firms were actually cutting back. Some of the large industries that in that area were cutting back. And I talked to my faculty mentor and he said, well, you know, with a master's degree and a CPA, you can teach. So I, sent out some applications to various colleges and universities, and there was a school in Mentor, Ohio, that offered me a position. And I went out there and taught for three years, but then I decided that I wanted to make uh, a lot of money, and the economy was bouncing back. And I went with one of the big eight public accounting firms in Cleveland. I actually had offers from all the big eight in Cleveland, And it was amazing that the clients that I were assigned to were mainly in iron ore and coal mining, which I grew up in an area where they did some coal mining, so I was familiar with that, but I didn't have any idea about iron ore mining. I got to go to the wilds of Minnesota. I got to go up to uh, Labrador and Newfoundland in Canada. I got to go to glory spots like Beckley, West Virginia, and Pike County, Kentucky, and Logan County, West Virginia, where the Hatfields and the McCoys were uh, feuding all through their lives and everything. (laughs) And unfortunately, at that time, I don't think public accounting had this concept of work life balance. Uh, uh, Basically, they believed in work, and that was it. Hmm. And after one year being in public accounting, I think it was the second or third year, I decided that I needed to look for a job somewhere outside of public accounting because I was just getting burnt out. One year, I had 3,000 chargeable hours. And that did not include my travel time or my CPE or anything like that. So I was talking to my faculty mentor. He had moved on to go to work for the Illinois CPA Society. And he said, you know, there's a, a temporary position at Eastern that you might want to go to and everything. So I t- I talked to Eastern and they said, well, yeah, but you can only be there for a couple of years because you d- you're not terminally qualified. So I uh, went back to Eastern, taught a couple of years and decided to get a, a PhD, interviewed with a lot of schools, figured out that probably the best fit and the get- best guarantee that I had was at University of Mississippi. Even though that I didn't speak Southern as they said, I speak Northern, <laughs> and I went down there and and got my PhD and decided to go back up to the north. And I went to Chicago and I had a job at DePaul University, and at the same time I was able to do some work with what I would refer to as a sub Big Eight public accounting firm that was located in 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 Chicago and continued to do some, I would say, more consulting rather than actual accounting or tax work for this firm. Unfortunately, one year at DePaul, there was a big winter storm. The temperature was minus 25. The wind was about 50 miles an hour. And I was living in the western suburbs. And unfortunately, DePaul was going to have classes. So I went into the city. And unfortunately, the buses were not running because it was so cold. So I walked to DePaul. And on that walk, I decided with my ice-crusted eyebrows and nose that there was better places to teach if I was going to do that, (laughs) much warmer places. And I spent probably about the next year looking for places. And I interviewed with schools in Texas as well as in Virginia. And I uh, always had my heart that I wanted to, to be somewhere closer to the Dallas Cowboys. So I had offers from TCU, Stephen F. Austin, and here. And one of my students at DePaul was actually a wife of a former Spurs player who was traded to the, the Bulls and everything. And she said that UTSA was a infant of a university, that if I wanted to make some impact, that would be the place to go. And And I liked the people. And, and I said, yes, I'll go to San Antonio. And I've been here. This will be my 34th year if I complete it out. And uh, <laughs> I've enjoyed most of it. And that's how my career has lasted. I should say that when I first came here at UTSA, we were encouraged to do things outside of the classroom. So another colleague of mine, we were auditing some local cities in the San Antonio general area, and so I continued to do that practice work. And at some point, we decided that the cost of doing that for the additional CPA a uh, CPE and also the peer review wasn't worth what we were getting from these small cities and everything. So we decided to cease our adventure in public accounting. So that's where I've been career-wise from a practitioner, sort of an academic, and, and a practitioner at the same time. And then now I'm, I'm just basically a full-time academic. Okay.
2: Well, for yeah, for our listening audience, now this will be airing in October. We're recording it in September, so yes, it is early to be making the call as to whether or not you'll make it through this thirty fourth year. So, yeah, I, I appreciate your, <laughs> your your humility there. <laughs> I have just one question. Thank you for for going through all that. You mentioned did you started at a big eight firm, but then also you did some consulting. You know later on at, at a the national firm as well. And just out of curiosity, which firms did you did you work with?
1: I worked for Price Waterhouse, and then in Chicago it was Main LaFrance. I think I think during that time I was in Chicago. They went to Maine Herdman, and then they merged in with KPMG.
2: Okay, that, that's pretty common for professors, at least earlier in their career, to continue to do some consulting.
1: Well, in the past, that was true, but I'm not for sure in the current situation that is true. We're, we're having more and more academics that don't have any practical experience. In fact, they're not even CPAs or have any professional certification, which is a shame in regards to the students in that regard.
2: Interesting. What, what's leading to that? What are your thoughts?
1: One of the major culprits, I believe, is accreditation. Uh, there are some accrediting bodies. The one that we have in the College of Business is called the AACSB. And this, the, there's been more of a change in business schools from being practical, real life situations to being more research oriented. And that is true of higher education overall. It appears that more and more universities are trying to achieve what we refer to as tier one status, uh, having a lot of research and meeting certain criteria by various agencies. And we're seeing more and more individuals getting PhDs that have either gone straight through from a bachelor's degree, maybe and not even getting a master's degree in a county and coming up with a PhD. In some cases, they may not even have a, a bachelor's degree or a master's degree in, in accounting. They, they'll just take PhD courses, which are research-oriented. And as the boomers retire and are replaced by the younger individuals, they are more research-oriented because that's what the market is dictating currently. Okay, I, I'm hopeful that that trend will reverse, at least in accounting. And and other areas of business.
2: Okay, I wasn't aware of that. That's thank you. You Yeah. So, what do you enjoy most about your job, or or what have been some of the more rewarding aspects of being an educator?
1: I I think most of it comes down to being working with students and watching the students uh, grow from a novice to an expert accountant. It's, I haven't taught the lower-level accounting classes in uh, quite a time. I've been teaching primarily upper undergraduates and graduate students recently. And it's amazing to see the transformation from being an undergraduate student to a master's student to being a professional. And I'll give you one story that kind of highlights this. I have a, a former student. She graduated about 20 years ago. And this past January, she called me up and asked me if I would go to lunch with her. And I said, be more than happy to. And during the course of lunch, she, she looked at me and she said, what did you see in me? And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. She says, well, you're the one that pushed me to get the master's degree. You're the one that pushed me to get the CPA you're the one that pushed me to strive for better positions in industry. And she is now director of tax at one of the uh, Fortune 500 companies in San Antonio. And I just told her, I said, you know, I saw the potential. She had a good work ethic and she just needed the push and everything.
2: Mm-hmm. Wow. That's special.
1: Yeah.
2: that <laughs> That is special. it's wonderful that she took the time to circle back with you on that, you know, so many years later. Wow. Wow.
1: And it's amazing. I see former students everywhere in San Antonio, grocery stores, at the Majestic or at some other event, and they'll come up to me and they'll say, you probably don't remember me, but I had you and... X year, and you really made an impact on my life, and they always relate a story, some story that I told in class, and I'll never forget, one student, former student, came up to me and said, you know, I thought you made up some of those stories, and then I was reading some more, and I found out that some of those stories that you told us were true, (laughs) and I said,
2: well, most of them were true. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. At least some of them were. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I wanted to ask you this. I'm just going to go ahead and ask now because I, I know a few partners at firms that you know were your students earlier on, and, and you're mentioning this director of tax. Yeah, I'm sure you've had other students that have you know, moved on to become a controller or CFO or other levels of directors in industry and obviously many partners at accounting firms. Yeah, if you think back on some of those specific individuals, are, are there any traits that that you can see in common that, you know, back when they were a student, they all did this or they all had this. or Is there anything like that that you can put your finger on?
1: Well, I would say for the most part, they weren't the top academic accounting students, hmm. but they were very intelligent, but they weren't the what I refer to as the 4.0 students. And what they did was they made up the difference through their hard work. And they, I think in many cases, they had more practical knowledge than book smarts in some cases. And they were able to transform from a student that was above average into a way above average individual in their careers. And I have a friend that, we went to Eastern together, but he wasn't an accounting major. But later on, he saw the light and became an accounting major. And he called me up. He went into public accounting at at one of the now firms that do not exist because of a scandal that occurred earlier in the 2000s. And he said, I wanted to let you know that you're the third person I've called. I've made partner with the firm. And I said, well, Tim, that's really great, except you realize the really good people went with clients and the really bad people got fired by the firm and he got a little bit mad at me and hung up and two days later he called me back and he says you know I was thinking about what you said and that's true that basically the the people in the middle are the ones that make partner that's
2: interesting <laughs> you know and,
1: and and I really do believe that some of the more what i refer to as book smart people are not successful Because of they're always trying to make sure that something's exactly right. And I try to tell them that in accounting, we're not always exactly right. And that you need to see some of the tie-ins between things. And for example, I have a farmer student that I heard a story about that I'll relate. And once again, this is secondhand the student had been in public accounting for a couple of years and was working on cash and went to the senior and said, we have a problem with the cash accounts. And the senior said, what's the problem? He says, well, the account numbers on the bank statements don't agree to the account numbers in the general ledger. And that person did not understand that the bank assigned the bank account numbers where the client assigned the general ledger numbers and even though that this was a four-point person they just didn't have that practical tie-in wow you know so i think that having the ability to work hard and to try to understand see beyond what i refer to as the numbers and everything trying to figure out what's going on in business
2: that's interesting i to add to that a little bit a few of the partners we've interviewed have talked about basically your technical skills are just the table stakes. You know, that just, that just gets you in the door. But it's really your, your people skills and your, your relationship skills and communication skills that keep you moving up, whether in industry or public. And I think a lot of that comes with that hard work you were mentioning. You
1: yeah. Know? Well, yeah. I, you know, in some cases, there are people that have really great technical skills. And they're successful in that side, but as you said, they have no people skills. And I have a former student that works at a local CPA firm that, kiddingly, the partner says, We slip the information underneath his door. He cranks out the tax returns and then he slides them back. He's, he doesn't have any client contact, he doesn't have good socialization skills and everything. So others in the firm do that, but he's great at finding the technical points of tax law. So there can be a place for those people, but they're rather limited because basically, regardless if you're in audit, tax, or financial accounting or managerial accounting, most of it is communications, whether that be clients, whether it be with others, individuals in the industry or our government or the not-for-profit agencies and everything.
2: Hmm. Yeah, you know, there's a lesson in there. It's better, well, there's several, I'm sure, but better to get a few Bs and be active in other ways so that you're developing your, your people skills and leadership skills yeah. than to spend all your time in the books. And you have a 4.0, but but you haven't developed the others. That's true. That's true.
1: In, in all three of my degrees, I never had a 4.0. <laughs> <laughs> and I never got all A's in my accounting classes. I never got any C's, but I got some B's and then some A's and everything and
2: mm.
1: was able okay. to survive.
2: <laughs> well, how have you seen, since you've been an educator for so long, how have you seen the college experience improve over the years, either for the students or, or from the educator perspective or, or both? What have you seen just continue to get better?
1: Well, maybe I had to answer the reverse of that question. Okay. What have I seen getting worse, and that is, I think that there's a lack of competitiveness in my this generation of, of students and everything. There are many individuals more so than what we had in the past that they want to do the least amount of work to get a degree and they don't want an education they want a degree and they'll say, well, you know, it doesn't really matter what I get. I can get a job if I have a degree in accounting. And I'm not for sure in some cases where some of our graduates have ended up in accounting positions. I don't think that they're very successful in their quest for what I refer to beyond the entry-level bookkeeping and tax and, and type positions. What I've seen that has improved is their their ability to use the technology in different ways which but at the same time they don't understand in the past that we didn't have these technology available i was talking in one of my auditing class once about getting information about a client and i had to go down to a library to find out information about the client and the student said well why didn't you just google it and i said well there wasn't any google and to be honest with you there weren't really many computers and there weren't computers used on our audits and everything and they just they don't have an understanding of the past in that regard most of them have never had a situation where they haven't had either a phone a cell phone or that they haven't had a a tablet or a some other form of technology that they could use, whether it be in the home or at school. So their technology skills are, are really improved in
2: that regard. Okay. Okay. Uh, yes. We we have immediate access to to information now. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, you know, since we can talk here in generalities, what advice would you have for today's student or in or in terms of you know, having a successful college career, but then also a successful start to their career?
1: Well, I think that it comes down to that they have to develop a passion. Hmm. And that passion might be in the major that they determine that they want to pursue. I have some students that tell me that I ask them, why are you in accounting? And they'll say, well, my mom or dad wanted me to be an accountant. But they don't have the passion for learning accounting or even practicing accounting, whether that be in industry or in public accounting. So developing a passion and carrying that through, I know that many of our students go into public accounting, but I also know that most of those students won't be there after four or five years. That They'll either go into other public accounting firms or they'll go into industry. And they they just got to figure out what their passion is. In regards to their chosen career path, do
2: you have any ideas on how to figure that out? You know, if you are going to college and you had to declare a major, and mom and dad said accounting, you know, and you're not sure, do you, do you have any ideas on? Well, I had
1: a, a former student. Of mine, his mother and father were both CPAs in the San Antonio area, and he said to me that you know, I'm expected to be a CPA. And I said, do you want to be a CPA? And he said, no, I don't want to be a CPA. And I said, well, what do you want to do? And he says, I want to do something more with humans. And (laughs) after, you know, I kind of laughed at everything. I said, what do you mean by that? And he says, well, I want to be more caring. And what happened was after he graduated, he went into a firm and didn't like it at all. And he went back to school and became a nurse. And he's a very successful nurse in, in a pediatric ward. So that's what he wanted to do. And that's what he was able to save up enough money when he was working to go back to school and earn this nursing degree. And I think that you need to make sure that you understand what, what are some of the good, the bad, and the ugly of any profession. Nursing—you may be working 12 hours a day. You see things that you don't like to see. Maybe a child dies, and everything. And in public accounting, you know, there's good, bad, and ugly there. And and in any position, regardless if it's in accounting or not, and you have to figure out: Do I think the good is outweighs the bad and the ugly? And if it, it, maybe it's not for me. I, I tell students that not everybody is. Suited to go into public accounting. Not everybody that's going to go in public accounting should go with a big four firm. One of my students, one of our better students, she said she doesn't want to go into public accounting. She wants to have more of a structured life, and she wants to go to work in industry. And I said, well, that's great. She says, you know, I want to know what I'm going to be doing the first three days of every month. She wants that routine where in public accounting you might be bouncing over from one client to another. So I try to tell them it's a people decision where you go. And also it's a decision based on what you want out of your career. And many of them understand that there are many steps in that career. And some of them have a long range plan, but some of them find out that that long range plan changes very early in their career.
2: Hmm. That's that's good advice. It's a people decision, and really a decision about what you want in your own career. Because I, I agree. I think that many students can go the public accounting route because they feel like they're supposed to, and they feel like that's the only way to get a good start. And and it's not. And actually, if you're really not cut out for it, it, it can be a good way to get a horrible start <laughs> on your on your career. And yeah. That that is a that is that's some good advice. That is. Hmm. Well, we've been on the on the line. Uh, About half an hour, so we probably should be getting to some of the final questions. There's one more i like to ask people. This actually came from a not-long-ago student (laughs) at UTSA. He suggested I add this question. If you could go back in time in your own life and, and give your younger self just one piece of advice, what do you think that might be?
1: I might go back and think about staying in public accounting longer. Hmm. Maybe not with the firm I went with, not, maybe not in, in Cleveland, Ohio, <laughs> the mistake on the lake. And I think that also uh, learning more about computers and how you can use computers and systems.
2: Hmm. Why do you think you might have stayed in public accounting longer?
1: Well, I think that in some respects, my public accounting experience was very narrow. Being in basically natural resources, I did have one or two not-for-profits, and I did have one industry client. But of the 52 weeks, they probably only accounted for maybe six weeks out of those 52. And maybe I should have experienced more uh, different industries. Cleveland is a very manufacturing-oriented city. They have large corporations that manufacture anything from generators to lawnmowers. And I was kind of pigeonholed because of my mathematics background on the what I refer to as the natural resources area because they did a lot of surveys and, and used trig functions. And I had requested to transfer off those clients, but they wanted me to stay there.
2: Okay. Okay. I was just curious based on some of our other conversation. Yeah, Yeah. but that makes a lot of sense. So you get a a wider variety of experience. Yeah. A broader background. Okay. Okay. Well, getting to the final questions I ask every guest, uh, usually the easiest one, the first one, what's been your proudest moment?
1: Well, I'd have to say I passed the CPA exam in Illinois. And the Illinois Society had a banquet in one of the larger hotels in Chicago. And going through the arch that said new CPA was my proudest moment when I picked up my certificate because it made me realize that I was a professional at that point in time. And it separated me from many of the other colleagues that I went through college with and had experience with. You know, Mm -hmm. back then, not... You know, very few people took the CPA exam, not, you know, if not proportionally to what it was now. And it just made me so proud to be able to pass that two and a half day exam, which I took for more than once and everything, some parts and everything. But just going through and and unfortunately back then there weren't a lot of review courses available. In fact, I did not take a review course. I studied on my own. My faculty mentor in college provided me with solution manuals from textbooks so I could work problems and I would know the answers. But it was that all that hard work that I got to see the end result, and that was being a CPA.
2: Mm. Yes, for listeners that are not. CPAs yet or, or thinking maybe they should, maybe they shouldn't. It truly, passing the exam truly is one of those moments in life that, that you remember forever. I I remember the day I got married. I remember different points in my daughter, you know, growing up. And I remember the party that my wife now, but at the time, girlfriend, threw me for passing the CPA exam. It's just, it's I remember that probably better than college graduation, actually.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah,
2: it, it it really is an important point.
1: And, and there's been other proud moments in my life, uh, but I would say that that was the proudest and everything. I'm probably the only CPA that has ever chaired a department of English Classics and Philosophy. One of my many hats that I've wore at the university, I've chaired three different departments. One was accounting, one was in management marketing, and then the liberal arts area. And... I was proud that the provost would call on me to go over and try to straighten out the financial mess of the English department. So I got to apply my practical experience and my academic experience there.
2: Okay. I was curious why, yes, why they would choose an accountant, but okay, that makes sense. <laughs> well, tell us about a mistake you've made and, and what you learned from it, of course. I've and, made and Frankly, the bigger, the better. We, we like the the big mistakes. I've made so many mistakes in my life. I always tell my
1: students, if I had a nickel for every mistake I made, I would have been retired about 30 years ago. The biggest mistake that I made professionally, and this was when I was in public accounting, I was in a meeting with the partner on the job, the controller of my major client and myself, and we were discussing the results of an audit. And the partner made a statement to the controller who happened to be an alum of our firm. And I blurted out that that the partner was wrong. And he got very angry at me. And when I left the meeting, I didn't know if I had a job or not. And the next day, when I walked into the office at the client, there was a message there that my partner wanted to see me in his office. So I walked over to our Office and I asked the admin, Do you know what this is about? And she said, No. But when he came back from his meeting yesterday, he was screaming, yelling, he was talking to the personnel manager. And I said, Do you think I'm going to get fired? And she said, Well, did he ask you to bring your audit back? And I said, The message wasn't that clear. And she says, Well, I don't think so. But he had a heart to heart talk with me and said that. I was right in facing my objection, but I did it at the wrong place. And that he told me that if I ever did that again, I wouldn't have to be worried about being fired. He would throw me out of the window. So uh, I learned to make sure that the comments I'm going to be making are appropriate given the individuals that are there.
2: Mm -hmm. You know, I need to go back in the podcast archives, but you're the, you're the second guest to tell a similar story of, of calling out their manager. And it wasn't that the mistake was in recognizing the mistake and, and bringing it out. It was when they did it and the fact that they did it in front of other people. And that is an important lesson to learn. Thank, thank you for sharing that, Marshall. Yeah. It, and it really is.
1: As I said, I've made other mistakes. I made a mistake on an inventory calculation that the client really loved because it boosted their inventory by about $4 million. Unfortunately, it should have been a $2 million decrease, <laughs> <laughs> but that was just a mathematical error on my part and everything. And one thing I want to say that the other thing that students don't understand is what this one thing is on my desk. And they'll come in my office and say, what's that? And I said, that's a 10 key. And they go, what's that used for?
2: <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, last question, and, and then we'll say goodbye. What's the best piece of advice that you've ever received?
1: Well, I think it goes back to my collegiate time. Eastern was a very unique accounting department, and they stressed to us that when we left the university with our degrees and became career-oriented we needed to make sure that we provided time for our profession, that we needed to give back to the profession, that we needed to participate on committees. We needed to take leadership roles, whether it be with the CPA Society, or if it be with an organization, back then it was NAA, or if it be the community as a whole. And I've always tried to use that advice. And sometimes I feel that sometimes I overcommit in my volunteerism, both at the CPA societies and the American Institute, as well as some community activities that I'm involved with. For example, I've I've been on the board of KLRN for four years. I'm going to become the treasurer next month. It's a rewarding experience. It's giving back to the community. I've served in leadership roles both at the San Antonio Chapter, the Texas Society, as well as the American Institute of Certified Public Accountants. So giving back to the profession and to, to the community. It's not just doing a job, it's, it's helping out others as well.
2: That is a good point to end this on. Thank you. Well, thank you again, Marshall. I I really do appreciate spending your time with us. I've kidded around with you a little bit, but you you really have been a major and actually continue to be a major influencer on on the accounting community, and I know your time's valuable. So I I really do appreciate it, and I hope you have a great semester.
1: Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure being on this podcast. Wonderful. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you.
0: That was Marshall Pittman of UTSA, or the University of Texas, in San Antonio. I kidded around with Marshall a little during the interview, but that's only because I know he has a great sense of humor and really does enjoy being an educator. I really appreciated how open he was about his biggest mistake. With communication, it's not just about what you say or just about how you say it, but it's also about when you say it. That's a very important lesson for all of us to learn, hopefully early in our careers. Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please do remember to share the podcast and our home website, www.whereaccountantsgo.com with a friend. You can also find links to all the accounting certifications on our home website as well. That's www.whereaccountantsgo.com. This has been another episode of Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. If you'd like to subscribe via email, please visit us at whereaccountantsgo.com and click on the subscribe button right there on the top of the podcast page. I hope you have a wonderful week. We'll be back soon. There's more to come.